And welcome to Green Tea Conversations, a radio show that delves into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine to bring you the local experts who share their progressive ideas and the latest information and insights needed so you can lead your best life. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I am honored to bring these experts to you. Today in our studio, we have Representative Kristen Bonner who is running for a re-election to the Minnesota House of Representatives District 34B, which serves the communities of Maple Grove and Osseo. Welcome to the show, Representative Bonner. Thank you, Candy. It's good to see you. It is good to be with you today. So we are coming in, and I'm asking some of our candidates to come in uh, so that we can get to meet you and get to know you a little bit better and help people to make decisions on their who they're going to vote for this fall. And so you are running for re-election again uh, in our November elections. And the one thing that I want to know first is, what is the most important thing that you have learned in the last two years that you've been in office? Relationships. Without a doubt. Um, I think a big part of this job, a big part of being a, a servant leader of serving your community is working through relationships. And that means relationships with folks in your community, um, having good working relationships with them, as well as um, folks in the legislature and on both sides of the aisle, as a matter of fact. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, all of the bills which I've had as a chief author that have passed through have had um, Senate authors uh, who were on the other side of the aisle. And, and I do think that our process in the legislature, while it's very deliberative, it's also designed in such a way that if we work together, we can often, um, despite our differences, we can challenge each other. We can find ways to make legislation better. Um, and help our, serve our communities better. So I, I truly believe that forming the basis of all those relationships and having that ability goes a long way um, in serving our uh, constituents. Very nice. So in light of the COVID-19 health crisis, with people losing their employer-provided uh, health care and others having difficulty paying for their premiums, what ideas do you have to assure that Minnesotans uh, are afforded health care for all of our citizens? I think that's a, a really excellent question. And I think um, so often when I talk to people in my community, I hear um, folks like our seniors saying that they are worried about being able to pay for their medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, it, it breaks my heart to think that I'm uh, looking at someone on the other side of the door who could for all practical purposes be my grandmother who's struggling to think about, well, can I afford my medicine or do I have to make difficult trade-offs like putting food on the table and paying my bills or spending time with my grandchildren and taking them out for ice cream versus paying for the necessary medications that I really need. Um, And I, I personally think that's unconscionable. 
um, that our seniors who should be thinking about their golden years and taking the grandkids for ice cream are worried about paying for their drugs. Um, and I am very passionate, um, anybody who knows my record, about health care and prescription drug reform. Um, I come, I'm the daughter of a nurse. I grew up next to a pharmacist. And I have done everything from work in medical records at the University of Minnesota. At one time, I worked for a company that authorized drugs for a living. Um, I've also been on the IT side of that and worked for pharmacy benefit managers, as well as large healthcare organizations. So you might say I have an interesting perspective in that I've seen all sides of this particular issue. And I do think that it's unfortunate that our healthcare system is not designed to always give the best possible care. And I'll give an example of that. For example, um, preventative care. Often when we talk about health care and what we will and will not pay for, we talk about it in terms of, of saving pennies here and there. But it's a little bit penny-wise, pound-foolish in that preventative care, for example, can save a huge amount of money and complications for someone down the line. Uh, for example, my sister's a diabetic. Um, if you have good care and management of your disease on the front end, that can avoid ton of problems on the back end, which are far more expensive to take care of, and really diminish the quality of life um, for, for patients. And I think that that's something that we have to take a long, hard look at and how we reform the system to do a better job. Um, I do think that government can play a role in making sure that our policies work for real people. Um, and so you'll notice that I have a long list of bills, if you look at my record, that address those specific issues. Things like removing the gag rule. Um, the gag rule specifically was where pharmacists were not allowed to tell a patient that they could get their prescription for cheaper by buying it off the shelf than their copay. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds silly. First of all, why would you not tell a patient when they can save money? Um, but that really adds up in that when you talk about seniors or working families who are on a tight budget, let's say they say they get their prescription for $12 off the, the shelf versus the $20 copay, that $8, and let's say that's a monthly prescription, $8 over the course of a year adds up. And if you have multiple prescriptions, that can be a huge saving. Um, so folks on those fixed incomes or who are struggling to make ends meet, it makes a huge difference. So I'm really proud that we were able to pass that. That was, in fact, my very first bill right out of the gate. Um, and I'm proud of that. Um, bills that do things like um, ensure that you get the lowest cost at the pharmacy, um, that make uh, provisions for emergency refills, uh, for example, so that patients can get the care that they need. Um, as well as um, synchronizing your medications uh, every year so that caregivers um, and uh, folks can sync up their meds to one day a year on a day of their choosing to better serve their budget. And for folks who might have issues with getting transportation, uh, seniors, um, again, those families who might be caring for children that have special needs or disabilities, um, making life just easier for regular folks. Um, and I do think that all of those efficiencies also have great cost benefits. 
um, from preventative care to lowering the cost of prescription drugs that can really help our families um, at the end of the day. So you bring up a good point and with preventative care and also with natural health care. So my next question is, in your opinion, what types of natural health care should be covered by your health insurance? Yeah. And I know this has been a hot debate. And I do think that there are some really great um, alternative methods that can be really, really useful and have shown themselves to be very effective. Um, So, and I certainly think that when we talk about medicine, it shouldn't just be about prescription drugs um, from, from, we need a a more holistic approach, obviously. Um, And for example, um, in various pain applications, there's been a lot of conversation about things like um, acupuncture, for example, uh, which is a more holistic approach, and particularly in lieu of prescription drugs when people are managing pain. Um, so I think there's really practical ways to look at this and, and see where there's opportunities for us to not only save money, but to give better outcomes for our patients. Um, and, and I think that's a really practical concern. Um, and so I would like to see us do more at look, taking a critical look at where we could make those adjustments um, to give better holistic health care. Great. So in your opinion, what is the most important education issue we are facing today? Well, <laughs> there are many. The list is long. Um, I think, one, that um, funding is a huge issue. Um, I know for about 15 years, we did not do a very good job of making sure that we were adequately funding um, what's necessary for our teachers, for our schools. Um, One, for paying for things like buildings and books, um, to retaining good teachers. Uh, For example, making sure that we're taking care of our students who are in special education, for example, um, is another area, early childhood education. Um, one of the really intriguing things, for example, um, and one of the things I feel passionately about is I'm on the Early Childhood Committee. And as part of my work there, I sponsor programs and things like home visiting um, that get kids off to a good start. And what we know is that brain development in those early ages is off the charts. There are millions and millions of little synapses developing in their little brains, particularly from zero to three. And then even as I is zero to five, where we have incredible opportunities to get these kids off to a good start. Wouldn't it be incredible if we could close the opportunity gap before there was actually a gap? Mm. And and I think there's a a tremendous possibility to do those kinds of things with programs like home visiting, um, with pre-K education, and and do that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of debate um, about whether that should be public, private, charters. Now, I know there are some charter schools that have done great work in trying to find great methods or specializing in particular areas, but I do think funding public education is really critical. And the reason I say that is that having a good public education um, system is really fundamental to our democracy. So uh, making sure that we are able to have good, informed, and educated citizens um, is really, really important. Well, we need to go into a break here in just a minute, but for people who want to learn more about the issues that are important to Representative Bonner, visit bonnerforhouse.com, and that's B-A-H 
N-E-R-4house.com. To read the online edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings Magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and today we are talking with Representative Kristen Bonner, who is running for re-election for Minnesota House of Representatives District 34B, which serves the communities of Maple Grove and Osseo. Thank you so much for being with us today. So just before the break, you were starting to tell us about, um, in particular, we were discussing early education and home visits and Head Start, different programs that have early education. And when we come back, I wanted to just ask you to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, you know, and I think this is where we have really incredible opportunities because we know that those little minds are developing at an incredible rate, particularly in those early years. So having programs like home visiting, um, uh, pre-K programs, et cetera, to sort of expand um, and sort of literally capture those little diamonds in the rough that we have in each and every one of our kiddos is really incredible. And there's really substantial evidence. Um, There's a study done, and I believe it's a Percy study, that followed in individual children to get them off to a good start and sort of close those opportunity gaps before they started and looked at what happened over time when we got those kids off to a good start. And what we found is that we had lower rates of incarceration, which, um, and we had um, increased graduation rates. We had higher rates of employment. We had higher uh, rates of economic uh, achievement And that often, what they did is they actually went back to some of those study participants and followed them into a second or third generation. And what they found is that those benefits actually carry through from one generation to the next. Now, I like to think that that's really great because it means that we have better outcomes um, for our neighbors and for the folks in our community. But the other really interesting thing about that, and this is for my friends on the other side of the aisle who like to talk about dollars and cents, What that also means is that when we're actually getting those better outcomes, it means that we're also saving a lot of money Mm -hmm. on the other side. So where do you want to spend it? Do you want to spend money on our kiddos or would you rather spend money um, on things like incarceration? And I don't know about you, but I like safe communities and I like knowing that everyone in my community has a great opportunity to succeed. So I think we can do really great things by choosing where we prioritize Uh, to spend our money. And I can't think of a better way to do it than our kiddos. Yes. So 
when when we talk uh, with our readers, you know, there's certain things that are really important to our readers to know from our officials. And one of the things is, do you acknowledge that climate change is real and poses an immediate threat to our environment and our health and safety? Absolutely, without hesitation. Um, I, I think that the really incredible thing about that, and sometimes we don't understand how that applies to everyday life. Um, and so I'll give you an example. So first of all, we know particularly in uh, because of warming effect, because of um, greater density in the air, um, we know that pollutants can stay around longer. That can mean things like more cases of asthma, particularly for kids in more urban settings. Um, but it also plays out in really important ways in terms of our health and safety in other ways as well. So, for example, when we talk about holistic approach to taking care of our health, that means things like putting good food in our body, right? Having good, healthy food. But we talk in greater Minnesota, we have farmers, and, and this last decade has been one of the largest uh, for rainfall in recorded Minnesota history. And that means that it's been harder for our farmers to get the crops in the ground. It's been harder for them to maintain those. They've had um, much wetter, soggier um, climates, so they're not able to harvest as much. And also they're not able to get their crops out of the ground at the end of the season as well. That means it also makes it hard not only to get that good quality, healthy food, it also makes it a lot more expensive, particularly for those young families. Um, and that hits you directly in the pocketbook. So those kinds of things where somebody says, well, it doesn't matter. Actually, it does. And it matters to your everyday life. And in terms of safety, you also have to consider that infrastructure, many of the roads and bridges in Minnesota were developed many, many years ago. And we've been operating on near flood stage for some of those items. And, and they were never really designed to do that. So we have to make sure that that infrastructure is safe as well. So when we have things like increased rainfall for climate change, it all has a domino effect. Great. Uh, we, one last question that I have for you before we let you go is we, ha we do have a lot of work to do here in the United States when it comes to addressing our systemic racism. In your opinion, what are the most pressing issues that need to be addressed immediately? And what are your initial ideas to do so? Uh, in terms of addressing those those issues, I think one of the biggest is obviously the opportunity cap. As you know, I've probably gathered from that or from my previous answers that I'm a really big proponent of education and trying to uh, close those gaps before they start. So I think education is a really key issue um, in terms of disparities. And then within our communities, um, I know there's been a lot of conversation, especially recently, about how we make things better for folks. That means um, in terms of education, it could be retaining more teachers of color um, to have those children see what their, their values and their own reflection in their teachers, right, to encourage them to do better in school. But it also means taking a hard look at how our systems are designed and the inequities within those systems. Um, and, and, and how do we do better um, for our communities in that sense. So when we talk about things like police reform and accountability, um, and I don't think there's anybody that I've talked to who really believes that there isn't a need for some of these measures, um, including our officers who are, in many cases, really wonderful, dedicated public servants 
And even they agree that there are certain areas where we could improve relations in our communities, we could have better relationships with our citizens, and quite frankly, they want to have better relationships with our citizens. Um, and so I think those present really incredible opportunities. And we're in a place now where we're able, if we do more to listen uh, to those opportunities and listen to those truths and look for better solutions going forward to make sure that everyone in our community can feel safe. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and taking the time out of your very busy schedule here this summer. When we come back, we are going to be visiting with Russ Henry, who is the owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. To read the online version of Natural Awakenings magazine, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and now we are going to talk with Russ Henry, who is the owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. We're so glad you could be with us today, Russ. Hi, Candy. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, it's great that you're here. Now, I was really excited to have you on the show because uh, you have just written an article for the October issue of Natural Awakenings magazine. And it was such a great article. You submitted it to us and we were able to get it into the magazine. And uh, you had such good information in it. And I knew if I could get you on the show, we could get even more good information from you. Oh, fun. Thank you. <laughs> One of the things that you did talk about uh, in the article is the importance of under. Well, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so people know why I'm going into this. So tell well, us a little bit about Minnehaha Falls Landscaping and the work well, th you do. Thanks, Candy. Absolutely. Well, I'm really honored to be here. I love Natural Awakenings. And um, uh, Minnehaha Falls Landscaping is a business that's rooted in healthy soil. And so I, um, as the owner of the business, I happen to also be a self-professed soil nerd. And so I have spent many years studying soil health, uh, especially microbial health, um, and learning about soil fungi and bacteria and the roles that the creatures in the soil play. And I've used that in our business. Uh, and so we use that uh, to manage organic lawns, to grow a very healthy perennial and native gardens, rain gardens, bee lawns, all sorts of exciting landscapes that we manage without the use of any pesticides or fertilizers and using natural uh, fertility from compost. That is really great. Now, um, as our listeners can tell, you do a lot of different things, and that's why I was so excited to get you on the show today. But before we get started with that, let's talk about soil and yes. why it's so important for us to understand our soil and how we can care for it. Yes, well, soil is the life support system for planet Earth. 
And so soil processes our um, waste for us. It produces our food for us. For us. It produces all of our oxygen. Um, it handles all of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Soil is absolutely fundamental to life on Earth. And without it, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. So it's very important that we manage um, our landscapes at home and our farm landscapes, the, the agricultural spaces, um, with uh, keeping a mind towards healthy soil. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that we can do even this fall that can really help out growing healthy soil um, in our own backyards. And now is the perfect time to take a look at that because we're all kind of getting ready for winter and, and taking a look at maybe doing some cutting down and that type of thing. So what can we do in particular for our soil to uh, prepare it for winter? Well, thanks so much for asking. You know, um, when I think about soil health, we, we're really thinking about all of the creatures that live in and around the soil and so caring for them. So let's see, starting with caring for the plants. Um, you know, uh, we do oftentimes do a lot of cutback in the fall time. And um, one of the things I like to focus on is cutting back the plants that will turn to mush by springtime. So that's hostas and daylilies, sometimes some of our food produce plants, you know, tomatoes and these kind of things. They'll turn into in lettuce and those kind of things. They'll turn into mush before uh, spring comes. And so I will cut them back so I don't have to deal with that mushiness. Whereas plants that native plants, uh, grasses, joe pieweed, uh, milkweed, um, echinacea and, and uh, black-eyed Susans, all of these types of plants, I think it's very important to try to leave some of those standing throughout the winter season, um, not only because they're beautiful to look at as they catch the first few snowfalls of the season, but also the pollinators really require the use of those grasses and dead plant material to make their nests in the spring. So ground nesting bees, 60% of bees in Minnesota nest in the ground and they use, they uh, chew up the, uh, the uh, dead plant material and they spit it out making it a form of paper that they make their nests from underground. Mm -hmm. um, so very important that we leave some of that material up. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's a first part. Um, do you do cutbacks in your garden, Candy? I do. And I actually, when I read the article, I started thinking, maybe I'm cutting back too much. Um, I came from the home that I came from before I moved down here, we had a lot of gardens and we kind of cut back everything. And I think I probably cut back too much, but it's good to know. And I know there are certain plants that get really, really mushy and I don't want to deal with them in the spring. So it's good to know that because uh, I'll be more careful with it this year. I haven't started cutting back. We only cut back our hostas and daylilies so far. <laughs> so I'm safe. <laughs> Yes, well, um, cutbacks uh, are one part of fall maintenance. And then, of course, there's dealing with leaves and raking the leaves. And so, um, you know, I always like to say that it's important to get the leaves off of the lawn spaces. So if we're trying to manage an organic lawn, we really want to make sure that we're not overwhelming it with leaves every fall. They will mat down on the lawn. They'll, they'll, they'll kind of smush ground covers, uh, including grass and other ground covers in our garden. So very low plants, I'll keep the leaves off of, and I'll, I'll rake the leaves off of those, but I'll use the leaves and I'll rake them underneath the shrubs. Uh, I'll put them uh, up around trees for mulch. Um, all kinds of great ways 
to use the, the leaves in the garden. You can put them in your compost bin. Um, using, thinking of them as a free ground cover, a free mulch is really, mm -hmm. is really kind of the, the, um, the essential there. And um, the one, one thing I get asked quite a lot, and I think it's kind of an important point is, Russ, should I be chopping up my leaves for fall time? And I always say, no, let's don't chop up our leaves. And here's the reason why. A lot of moths and butterflies will make their cocoons in the leaves at, in the fall time before the leaves fall to the ground. And so they're actually relying on the leaves for protection all throughout the growing season. And so, um, you know, it's important that we go ahead and, and scoop those leaves off of our ground covers, but, you know, keep them intact and put them, use them as, as the free mulch that they can be. And it is amazing how much they do mulch down in the during the winter time. I know we used to always put ours underneath or throughout our raspberries. So we would take almost all the leaves in the yard and just kind of put them in our raspberry patches and our, over our strawberries and that type of thing. And they do. I mean, by the time spring comes and early summer, it just is nice to have that those leaves there. And you really don't have to do a lot with them then in the right. spring. Right. You know, and another great use for leaves comes to mind is uh, folks who have, you know, kind of dogs in the backyard that love to run along the fence line back and forth, back and forth. And they're asking me all the time, well, what do I do here? Because the grass won't grow. I say, put the free leaves there every year as the leaves fall, just rake them all on top of that dog run area and let the dogs run back and forth and, and uh, they can trample it down. It will also catch the dog's leavings and um, and compost them. Oh, that's a great idea. All right. So one of the things that I know um, you really are known for and that you're really passionate about is doing, uh, is having the native perennial gardens. Yeah. And this is something that you do a lot for your customers here in the Twin Cities. Yes. We make pollinator gardens all over the place and we just love it. It's one of our favorite things to do. And so a pollinator garden is going to have uh, something blooming in it at all different times of the growing season. Mm -hmm. um, so we're having early season blooms like passiflower and scylla and crocus and moving into mid-season blooms, you know, like um, uh, wild blue indigo and uh, and uh, Chelone, you know, a turtle head, and, and then moving further down into the season into Joe Pieweed and, and um, uh, all, all of our summer blooming plants. And so we then even in the fall with asters and such, so we really keep the blooms going. That's important to be able to provide food for the pollinators all season. And then we like to think about the gardens as, um, and this is something that, that really helps with all types of gardens, especially if you're looking at low maintenance, Spreading plants are our friends. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we thought of spreading plants as being the enemy. But if we start thinking about blending um, multiple canopy layers of spreading plants throughout our garden spaces, that is what actually keeps weeds out on the long term. And it acts as a living mulch covering the ground in green, creating more of a system, a living ecosystem, as opposed to the kind of plant mulch, plant mulch that we see in a lot of gardens, you know, where there's a lot of space between the mulch or between the plants. Um, and so what, you know, what we, what we like to do is put, fill our gardens with an abundance of spreading plants that will um, grow and form a ecosystem that actually goes through a, a bit of ecosystem succession 
as the homeowner enjoys it over the years. So what are, what are some of the plants that you use for that? Well, you know, our favorites for bringing in, for instance, the, the monarch butterflies, we like to call the mega monarch magnets. Ooh. And that is swamp milkweed. And any kind of milkweed is good, but we do see more caterpillars on the swamp milkweed than any other kind of milkweed. Um, Joe pieweed, absolutely essential. The, the early uh, returning butterflies as they're flying back down from Canada, going back down towards Mexico again, um, they love that Joe pieweed. And then the absolute favorite of all monarchs is the meadow blazing star. And meadow blazing star, Lyetris ligistylus, is um, a, a plant that I have, I have about 20 of these plants, Lyetris plants on my boulevard. They're kind of a tall, narrow plant. And I'll have one or two monarch butterflies per plant oh at all different times as they're migrating through. And so as people are walking down the sidewalk in front of my house, they always stop in wonder and amazement as the butterflies just kind of encircle them as they're going past the metal places. Oh, that is so cool. So are there any kinds of um, ground cover plants that you try to stay away from, you shy away from a little bit? That's a good question. You know, I think the highest maintenance form of ground cover is Kentucky bluegrass, you know, our standard issue lawns. And I always love to say that the best lawn is a garden. Now, um, we, we do care for lawns and we do so in an organic manner. So we never use any herbicides or pesticides on our lawns. And instead, we uh, focus on soil health. And oftentimes we encourage folks to grow bee lawns. And so oh. that's something we actually intentionally blend in things like white clover and you can get uh, many different native bees coming around and getting food living from your lawn. Oh, that is really cool. So we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break, because uh, I want to get into that a little bit more about what types of plants you want to put into those bee lawns in order to attract the bees um, and still have a beautiful looking lawn that you can enjoy every year. Oh, wonderful. For people who want to learn more about what Russ, uh, about Russ and the work he does, visit MinnehahaFallsLandscape.com or call 612-724-5454. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be back in just a moment. Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings Magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Broffel, and today we're visiting with Russ Henry, owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. So, Russ, just before the break, we were starting to talk about bee lawns, and uh, you just gave us a little hint of what what we might be uh, discussing within that. But I know that you have certain plants that you like to include in bee lawns. So first of all, help us understand what a bee lawn is. 
Yeah, thanks so much for asking. As a lifelong landscaper, bee lawns are one of the most exciting nutrient um, new trends in landscaping that has come about that, that I've ever seen. So a bee lawn is essentially it's a lawn that you don't have to mow. And that is filled with blooming plants that you can walk on, but that also attract bees and butterflies and other pollinators so that your lawn is actually participating in the ecosystem in a beneficial way. So a few of the uh, the plants that go into a bee lawn already most people probably already have um, white clover. Most people probably already have white clover in the lawn. But white clover, what a lot of folks don't know, white clover will feed over 50 different species of Minnesota native bees. Wow. No, I didn't know that. Right. That's the Dutch white clover. Um, And then uh, you've got self-heal, Prunella vulgaris. That's that's also included in the bee lawn mix. That's a purple bloomer and uh, a member of the mint family. Um, spreads out, makes a wonderful, low-growing, walkable, uh, lawn-type plant. Um, And as a purple bloomer, I love it because it helps us uh, kind of take the burden of uh, fighting Creeping Charlie away from from us because it's the same color as Charlie. So if you have Charlie in the lawn, which is also great for bees, um, you can stop worrying about it if you plant this bee lawn mix that'll help blend in that that Charlie with other bloomers. Uh, Another bloomer in the mix is, um, is Creeping Thyme. And that one in the sunny lawns is so beautiful, smells so nice. And altogether, you're feeding over 75 species of Minnesota native bees with that bee lawn mix. Now, the bee lawn also has a grass component. Mm-hmm. And the grass in the bee lawn mix is a no-mow grass. So that's fescue grass. And uh, that's already been popularized quite a bit as a no-mow lawn mix uh, on its own. But when you mix the rest of these uh, plants in with it, and then you get the bee lawn. So why why do they call it a no mow? Do you absolutely you don't have to mow the lawn with it? How does it the, just stay very low? Yeah, no, it doesn't stay very low. It stays about ankle height, um, and it kind of uh, uh, kind of waves over. Um, it grows kind of in these beautiful waves, and it looks kind of like a low growing meadow. Um, mm-hmm. as it's as it's as it's growing through the lawn um, you can mow it so it's you know it's kind of interesting to note that almost the entire University of Minnesota campus is made out of fescue oh um, all, yeah all of their lawns are, are grown with fescue but they they mow them once a week and so you you can mow it if you want to but the beauty of the fescue grass is that you can take your summer to your, to read some books and, uh, you know, enjoy, maybe uh, smoke some, some veggies out on the grill and uh, enjoy a glass of wine. It's, uh, you know, it's something that gives folks their time back when we stop kind of fighting the lawn at growing every week and transition towards a bee lawn. We can really get some of our, our, our rest and relaxation back. And how nice is it to think about just being able to walk out into your yard and having all the, all the different um, bees and butterflies and different things that you're going to attract. But not only that, but you have the softness of the grass, you have the smell of the thyme, you have the smell of the, the different plants that are there. I mean, what a great opportunity for to do something a little bit different instead of just having a plain green lawn. 
Yeah, and I understand, you know, a lot of neighbors have the plain green lawn and there's that there's still that aesthetic that is dominant. And um, one of the things we help our clients in kind of figuring that that kind of um, cultural component out is we offer a really nice looking sign that you can put in your in your bee lawn. It's got a beautiful picture of a bee on it. It says bee lawn. And um, it just makes the whole thing look much more intentional. Like, oh, you know, that's not just a weedy lawn. They're doing that on purpose. It's a bee lawn. And hopefully the, these kind of signs will maybe drive a little bit more of the, of the culture around it. And the understanding. Well, that's awesome. So one of the things that I know you do, and I don't want to lose track of this, because so many people are now spending more time in our in our yards more than ever, yes. um, as we have been kind of staying home more and um, getting more in touch with our with our actual home lives. But you guys do uh, hardscaping as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, you know, uh, Candy, your experience to what you're telling me, it just resonates entirely. We have been inundated with folks uh, this year coming to us to um, to to look at their space, to deal with their space, to design their space, because they're sitting at home now, not able to go on vacation, not able to go out to eat, spending a lot more time in the yard. And they're looking at these projects that they've always had in the back of their mind and they're wanting to get them done or they're wanting to find out what can we do with this space? So we offer, we have a landscape architect, very talented man named Tom Kirby on staff. And he, uh, he designs full landscapes for folks, including patios and walkways, retaining walls. Um, and we spend all spring, summer, and fall installing all of these things. And we love making natural stone retaining walls and walkways and patios, um, as well as uh, cement paver patios. And and uh, we just, you know, we tailor it to meet our clients' needs and their desires for the design. You know, it just gives you so much more space to your home as well. And so many of us are feeling kind of, you know, trapped in our homes, but this allows you to have that more space to, to really be able to take advantage of what you have. So what a yes. great opportunity. And now is the perfect time for people to really call on you because this winter you spend kind of planning out all of those projects that you have next spring. Oh, yes. We'll be designing some really fun projects, and we'd love to get your projects on the roster. Right now, we're doing work on, we know this winter, we'll be working on designs for some outdoor kitchens, um, some outdoor play spaces, an adventure scape in someone's backyard, some very fun stuff. So we can have all kinds of fun in the landscape, and I'd love to talk to the N950 listeners about their, their landscapes. Well, great. And I know you also have rain gardens and other things I wish we could have gotten into in this show. But for people who want to learn more, simply go to minnehahafallslandscape.com or call 612-724-5454. Again, that's 612-724-5454. Well, thank you, Russ, for being with us today. We certainly appreciate our time together. Thank you, Candy. It was a pleasure. And thank you for joining the conversation as we awaken to natural health. To read the online edition of Natural Awakenings magazine or to check out our complete online calendar of events, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com or Apple and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and I am wishing for you a lovely day. Lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day.